Hi folks, my name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Welcome back to the show. I am such a blend of excited and nervous to present today's conversation. It goes into a topic that I've not really explored on the show before. It's really personal to me. So I thank you in advance for sharing this space with myself and today's guest. Before we dig into the episode, I do want to remind you that if you enjoy this show, there's another podcast that I think you might enjoy. Um, and as I present a trailer to this podcast, I want to highlight that the host of the show is always taking recommendations. We talk a lot about media literacy on this show and representation on this show. So if there's a TV series or film that you would like to see be discussed, reach out to the host of Get Your Binge On. Hey y'all, my name is Jessica Bolton and I'm the host of Get Your Binge On, the podcast that was created to help you find your new favorite television series. With so much content out there, it's hard to know what to watch and it's so easy to click the first show that you see. On this podcast, I'll help you find your new favorite binge-worthy series. Be sure to listen to my recent episode, Spoilers Yellow Jackets, where I talk about the Showtime show that was thrilling and fantastic. Also, I did a film feature on Call Me By Your Name, one of my favorite films of all time, and we had such an amazing discussion. Go to www.getyourbingeon.com and leave me any recommendations of shows you'd like me to cover. You can listen to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Good Pods, Amazon, and Audible. And be sure to follow me on all my social media platforms on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, at Get Your Binge On. All right. Bye. So listeners, to learn more about Get Your Binge On, you can head over to the show notes and watch out because that show has an upcoming special on sex education season one. So I want to give you the backstory behind the episode that you are about to listen to. This conversation was actually the direct result of attending an ALOC session along with today's guest. We were in a workshop led by the incredible Cheryl Ann Weeks. You may have heard Cheryl Ann Weeks on this podcast before. Cheryl Ann is doing incredible work around boundaries. So today's guest and I were in that session learning together, and that sort of led into another conversation that we wanted to have about living without alcohol, about transitioning into sobriety, and the ways in which you need to have a different type of boundary in order to make that move. So I am also linking over in the show notes to the homepage of Cheryl Ann Weeks. Um, I'm thinking a lot about how perhaps an interesting metric of a professional development opportunity is the quality and the different kinds of follow-up conversations it produces. So I want to give a little shout out to Cheryl Ann and a little thank you to her for introducing me to today's guest and for being some of the inspiration for today's episode. Cheryl Ann Weeks does have some opportunities coming up where you can connect with and learn from her. So please be sure to check out the show notes. Without further ado, I want to welcome today's guest, Emily Thanks for being with us today, Emily. My name is Emily Zion. I'm a health and PE teacher. Um, I've taught internationally for eight years. I've worked in Doha, Qatar, Singapore, and Italy. Um, before I became a teacher, I had uh, another like 
career working in sexual and reproductive health where I assisted uh, medical providers in providing services. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Listeners, we should let you know that this conversation sort of came about because you and I were having an exchange inside of an ALOC session led by the fabulous Cheryl Ann Weeks. Shout out to Cheryl Ann Weeks um, and the work that she does around boundaries. Uh, and you and I were just sort of talking about sobriety and how um, if you are sober, there's sort of a different uh, degree of, of nurturing of your own boundaries that you need to do some upkeep work for and, and we were just kind of like you know in the chat sharing some resources around that that we have found helpful and that's where i'd love to start this conversation um, might you point us to a resource or two that's been meaningful to you well, I think in the, that exchange, <clears throat> we talked about Hollywood Occurs, um, Quit Like a Woman, which at the time that I read that book, I had read probably a dozen books from predominantly women authors about sobriety or, or their experience um, quitting alcohol. Um, I also, I, I mean, it wasn't until I started um, my own sobriety journey that I realized that some other people like Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, those are people who are really um, inspirational to me, that they are also people that are living with their own sobriety journeys. Um, I think there's a, a number of um, Laura McEwen, who is another um, sobriety author, really once you start looking at who write about sobriety, they all sort of link to one another. Um, and uh, it's pretty cool to see um, the, the work that they do in collaboration with one another. But that was really where I got a lot of my um, strength and courage to actually begin my journey of quitting alcohol, is listening to other people share their stories and be really vulnerable and be really courageous in those conversations. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like um, I had almost 10 years uh, sobriety myself, and then I had kind of misled myself into thinking like, you've maybe conquered this somehow. Um, and I tested that, the test did not go well. So I am happy to say I, I now have over a year, uh, maybe it's longer even, um, I, I've kind of focused a little bit less on measuring my sobriety and just enjoying it in the day to day. But it's true, I, I feel like we've seen this uptick in folks talking about their sobriety that maybe it wasn't necessarily a part of the conversation a while ago. And Emily, you and I have that shared experience of working in international schools where alcohol is a very, very big part of that experience. I think um, because orientation and community building, I think there's almost this, um, and maybe it's a misconception, this desire to have folks bond as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I think alcohol is almost marketed as a a glue, you know, it will speed up that process. So I too have found it really interesting to just learn a little bit more about folks sharing their sobriety. Um, and Holly Whitaker's book I really like as well um, because it kind of focuses on sobriety, not as this deficit of like, what am I missing out on, um, but really what am I bringing into my life? So again, the name of that book listeners is Quit Like a Woman. And Holly Whitaker also co-hosts a podcast I've recently gotten into a little bit called Quitted. And I asked if, if you and I might talk about a specific episode that came out last year called What Is It About Endings? Mm -hmm. Emily, I know you have very recently moved and I'm wondering if anything in that episode resonates with your experience of 
ending your relationship with alcohol or this recent move? Yeah. Well, okay. So I wanted to um, put some context around why I love endings um, myself. And it starts really with being raised as a pretty competitive athlete. Um, I remember, um, and I have really great pride around like being pretty young, being a freshman, a freshman in high school and setting some like pretty big goals for myself. And I worked so hard towards those goals. And I mean, I played division one water polo. Like it was a very, like I competed at a pretty high level. So I was inundated in this like mindset and culture of like no pain, no gain, don't give up, go hard, go home. Um, and so it wasn't until I was done playing in college, um, right around the same time, I ended a relationship that was like five years long. That was like very unhealthy. <laughs> um, and I kind of allowed the unhealthy aspects of that relationship to like complement the like very like self-deprecating negative um, mindset that I had um, about myself. Um, and so I look back at those experiences now and I'm like, yeah, I, I know how to try really hard and I know how to put everything into something. And you know, I had to like kind of learn that like quitting is not a bad thing right? Like quitting is actually like ending a relationship that was unhealthy for me. Now as a health educator, I really get that. An unhealthy relationship negatively impacts one or both people. So when I apply that to sobriety, I talk about my sobriety, like I ended my relationship with alcohol. It was no, yes, there were some really great times. <laughs> yes, it was a lot of fun sometimes, but there was more times where I was impacted negatively. There was more hangovers. There was more shame. There was more times where I didn't feel like I was living like by my values. Um, so then now I have this like framework for how I can look at jobs or, um, you know, places that I've lived. I left my last teaching job. I actually broke contract because it was an unhealthy relationship. It was negatively impacting me right? In a way that was like, just not worth it anymore. So yes, I grew up thinking, go hard, go home, work as hard as you can. And now I'm really just like, so grateful to have had these experiences that are the opposite. This is no longer good for me. This is no longer working for me. And if I let go of this thing, I will have more space for the things that make me feel full and make me feel like I'm my best self. Yeah. Congratulations for, you know, going through all of that. And yes, like letting go of any of the things that you listed is not easy because you're right. I feel like it is kind of a huge value of Western culture to almost like grind through it, you know, like it, mm -hmm. endure, struggle, struggle, struggle. And um, I, I, I certainly have found as I've aged, actually, the, the wisdom that you said and just kind of pausing and thinking, what is this struggle for? Um, who is with me in this struggle? And if I let go of the struggle, what might I actually be making a little more room for? Um, mm. And I, I think, again, it's that constant kind of critical reflection on what are the messages on what it means to be successful? You know, who does tell us stick it out, um, grind it out, that kind of thing. And you have me thinking back to what you mentioned just a little bit earlier about folks who have shared that narrative of sobriety. Um, and I, I can't remember which of the many books on sobriety that I've read as well, but um, the author makes a point of talking about some of the 
kind of fictional characters who very much like popularize this idea of, you know, like, oh, it's a hard day. Let me quickly get a glass of wine. And I'm thinking of um, from Shonda Rhimes TV show Scandal, Carrie Washington plays Olivia Pope, right? And so she's got a very difficult job. And it seems like every five minutes, there's the scene of her with a huge glass of red wine. Like, you know, it's beautiful glassware too. Beautiful glassware, <laughs> right? But, it, it, you know, the uh, the book that I read points out that Carrie Washington is a sober person. Um, and so, you know, how misleading it is to see this character, um, you know, never have a hangover, right? She might be struggling, but we never really see her in the depths of despair of, uh, you know, the repercussions of alcohol. And so I think sometimes the more interesting narrative for me now is this piece of what happened after you paused and realized no, something needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Something needs to change. Um, so congratulations. I'm, I'm really happy that you've been able to kind of make that space for a new beginning. Um, and I think that's where um, I'm really interested in like conversations right now around burnout and well-being and self-care and, um, you know, people just being sort of tired <laughs> after you know three years essentially of pandemic um we can't do anything to make ourselves be more well however you want to define that word I was almost going to say better but I feel like that's not necessarily the right word either more well you can't do any of those things without making more space for them and so quitting things giving up things making room is so critical yeah yeah, absolutely. It's it's sort of the um, resisting the urge to just fast forward from this moment to, ooh, success is immediate. Or, uh, you know, as you said, I, I've become increasingly more and more skeptical of any time I see like a, a wellness initiative or um, mm -hmm. because I, I think you're right. Um, some of it is I need to be able to say I'm tired and not the other person, you know, here are 10 solutions for you to try or have you had a green smoothie today like it has to sometimes just be okay to not be okay yeah more is not going to fix the problem less <laughs> fix the problem <laughs> yeah and i again i think maybe there's something inherently related to being a sober person and understanding that right um and mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you i very 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 briefly tried aa um, you know, in order to find some community as a sober person. And it really didn't work for me. Holly Whitaker in her book discusses why it didn't work for her either. Um, and Emily, I'm wondering in what ways as an educator, it perhaps has been complicated or maybe I'm totally wrong here. Maybe it's been totally straightforward for you to find some solidarity um, as a sober person. Well, I think one of the things that helped me um, really end my relationship with alcohol is that I was reading people describe um, gray area, gray area drinking. So it's not that like, I have an issue with alcohol, I'm an alcoholic. And then, you know, you're talking about like how we characterize people that drink, um, like in scandal, we see alcoholics framed in media in a certain way as well. And so there's like a tendency for people to not want to say, oh, I'm that bad right? So gray area drinking to me was like, okay, yeah, I'm not like, I can go without it. I don't feel like it's an addiction, but it's definitely not a healthy relationship. Um, so that really helped me frame um, my own experience. I think that 
there's a lot of times where I felt alone because I didn't have a community that I know a lot of people talk about AA providing. And I did turn to like social media and authors as my um, sort of motivation or inspiration. Um, it has been really lonely. You know, you mentioned earlier as an international educator, like so much of the social interaction is happy hours. And so I, when I um, stopped drinking, I stopped hanging out with people for a, a really long time because I didn't want to be around what I was ending. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think I'm four and a half years in and I still will just the other day, it was with my best friend. She ordered a beer or at dinner and I was like, oh, there's no option for me. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like, it's like a weird, like, oh, if only I could have like a tasty beverage right now. Um, so yeah, so for me, it was, it was incredibly lonely for a, a big chunk of my experience because um, there just aren't a lot of other options for being social. Um, yeah. No, and you know, I, I find that 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 seems so odd to me in that world of education too, where in a way we have this level of expertise in community building, right? Yeah. Um, and it almost feels like a lack of imagination to me that like that is always the go-to because to be honest with you, when I think back to the various different ways that um, you know, schools tried to do some community building. When mm. I really think about it, that was not necessarily the one that really was the stable. You know, if I'm honest, that's usually the one where sometimes people are not necessarily a great version of themselves when they're drinking. Um, you know, bickering, all of that kind of stuff can kind of ensue. But mm. um, you know, I've, I've worked at some schools where we we had like a, a paintball game and. It was super duper fun. Um, and, and I kind of just think having some alternative options for folks does tie into where so many schools are trying to give that lip service to the wellness piece. Because yeah. um, that was my experience too. I, I found it very lonely. And I think that links to what you were saying about the perception and the narrative around what it means to be someone who doesn't drink often it's like, well, that person must be so far gone or so out of control. So I often had a lot of people saying to me, are you sure you need to be sober? Like there was this kind of constant questioning and I found myself not necessarily always wanting to engage in that conversation because, you know, I'm just not interested in proving to someone else, like if I know this is truly not a great thing for me, I have some insider knowledge, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I know actually better what's for what's best for me than maybe somebody else does on the outside. I think you brought up just now something that is um, a really common theme in probably every sober book that I've read, and it's about navigating those conversations of like I'm no longer drinking or I'm not drinking right now, and having people um, question you like, well, how often were you drinking? How bad did it get? Um, and a lot of times it's people trying to sort of figure out their own relationship to alcohol and see if they are um, maybe needing to rethink it as well. So yeah, it's very, there's, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, and something that I'm really grateful for is that um, in my own experience, I think I was um, allowing alcohol to um, cover up or mask or like, I thought I was having it help me deal with emotions. Um, and since no longer having alcohol, something that I use, 
I feel like it has just allowed so much more space for my emotional literacy and understanding. I had a friend of mine say really early on when I like, I posted on my Instagram, I'm no longer drinking. And she's like, me neither. Your highs are going to be really high and your lows are still going to be really low, but you're going to like enjoy them and experience them in this way. That's really enriching. Um, and I think that that's like one of the things I'm most grateful for. I, I hear that and I feel that so strongly, Emily, one of my biggest regrets, um, you know, when I decided, oh, I've been sober long enough, I can probably start drinking again. As I reflect on what was really going on there, I knew that I was going into the last school year um, at the school that I was at in Singapore. And I think I had kind of convinced myself, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to have the emotional weight of the farewells with friends. I really, I, you know, I really, really appreciated that city. And I kind of knew this will be the thing that will numb some of that, right? Mm -hmm. But when I compare that end of school year to other end of school years that I've had where I've been sober and I've been able to really like say the things that I want to say to people, I feel okay for those last days you know um, i'm not waking up constantly like how many gatorades can i chug um you know that that not being a hundred percent or even 90 percent mm -hmm. i really really regret that but i do think again it's alcohol has been portrayed in the media as such a you use it to celebrate you use it to mourn uh, you use it if you're bored and i you know as i look back now i think i got so caught up in this lie that okay it's my last year here this will allow me to have more fun with colleagues that i like and that that certainly is not what's happened um and i just it's interesting to me you know i think and i, I work with schools all the time about looking at representation of queer folks in the media and i think that's what's helped me think a little bit more deeply about how is it that we portray yep. drinking and drinking culture in the media um and who does that serve? And um, I love, again, going back to Holly Whitaker's book, she talks about advertising and how the budget for, um, you know, again, really pushing this narrative, how much bigger that budget is in, in more recent years than it used to be um, yeah. in the 50s and, and how that marketing really has sort of started to target women as, um, as a core audience. Yeah. And I feel like you can see that, like when I'm at the store, like, you know, the mom juice kind of t-shirt and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I feel like I just went off on a really long tangent oh, no, I, there. I think it's an important tangent. When you're, when you're talking, I was thinking of her, uh, Holly Whitaker's comparison of, um, like big tobacco to big alcohol, you know, and how we, um, have a different frame for tobacco and cigarettes than we did 50 years ago. Yet alcohol has kind of just gone unchecked and it's so normalized. And I think, it's, it's interesting <clears throat> now that it's not something that I personally use, I feel like I notice more when people at work events, at workshops, at PDs, at the, on the school day, it's like, oh, I can't wait to have a drink. Um, and I'm like, that, that normalization of that is just so fascinating to me. And, and if you really like dug down deeper, you would again, get to those, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm, you know, overwhelmed, like, Oftentimes it's the emotions that we put into that category of like negative or bad emotions, you know, and then we think we can't feel those things. So if I feel a bad emotion, that means I'm a bad person. So learning to process some of those feelings 
without alcohol. Um, I know for me, I, I, as many women are, was really prone to blacking out. So I would wake up the next morning and instantly feel shame because I wasn't really sure what I did or wasn't really sure what I said or what have you. Um, and it was for the first like year after I stopped drinking that I would wake up on the weekends and feel shame for no other reason than for the fact that I carved out that time in my life that I was supposed to feel shame. And I had to like learn to be like, wait, there's nothing that I should feel bad about. Like I didn't do anything wrong. Like why is this emotion living in my body and just assuming that it's meant to be there, you know? So what, what can I put in that space instead? <laughs> what can I feel in that space instead? And it's been growing still, still working on the self-compassion, but so much more joy and gratitude. So much more joy and gratitude. Yeah. yeah. I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that. And that's, I think that's been my experience too. It's sort of having the uncomfortable conversation with myself that, Hey, this is not, you know, this is not necessarily how you want to spend your time and your energy, mm-hmm. which has meant having to have some uncomfortable conversations with others because it's really funny you know in the same vein that i usually think like can't people just clock that i am gay from like 20 feet away so where it's sort of you know when i will mention my wife and i'll get the like you know raised eyebrows like huh in the same way there are people that have known me for a while and have known me for a while as a non-drinker and will still offer me one and i'm like wait a second you don't remember and it's sort of like you know it's not their job to remember but my own having to get past that discomfort of reminding them. And then Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because sometimes people will really want to make a big deal of it and like, really, why? Um, And um, you're going to tell me I was going to change my mind. I was like, "Mm, I don't really think that's a very kind thing for you to say. But again, like I mentioned earlier, they were clearly to me, I felt like they were projecting their own relationship with alcohol onto me. Right. So again, it's like those conversations can sometimes be like, oh, sorry, didn't didn't remember. And they leave it at that. And then sometimes it becomes this bigger. Well, why? Why don't, why don't you want to drink? I'll buy you a drink. No, that's not the issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's been my experience, too. Sometimes the uh, the more pointed questions that have come from someone else, then later on, there might be a follow up conversation where it's like, you know, I was uncomfortable because I had to think a little bit about my relationship with alcohol too. Um, and another podcast that I, I've really grown to love is called Death, Sex, and Money. And a few years ago, I'll link to the specific episode. There was a curation of stories about alcohol and the role that it plays in people's lives. And I appreciated some of the, the questions that came up in that episode. You know, really just the question of what role does alcohol play in your life is an interesting one to ask ourselves. Um, I'm wondering if you, I know that for homework, you were also sort of listening to that episode too. Uh, I'm wondering if there were any questions in that episode that resonated with you and your experiences with sobriety. I mean, there was, so my husband's a, he's a big, like he was brewing beer for a long time. Like he still drinks. Um, And there were some people in that episode that kind of reflected the differences between his relationship and my relationship to alcohol. Um, One of the, the, 
podcast guests talked about, like, I like the taste of it. I like, you know, the trying different kinds. And, and that has never been my experience. Like, it was never about like, ooh, this, I'm going to pair this wine with this meal kind of thing. Um, and so I think it is important to like that, to me, that episode was a great example of the fact that there are varying ways that people can have alcohol be something that they use or not. Um, and that there's not, again, like AA doesn't mean that you can, you have to stop drinking if you reach that level of defining yourself as an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about, um, being educators or, or working towards inclusion, like recognizing that we are all different in all types of ways, even with what we want to use within our um, lives or put into our bodies. Um, we can't assume that everybody's the same. Yeah. Yeah, I think again, maybe that's where it's that identity piece, right? Because, and I know, thank you again, Holly Whitaker brings this up in her book that you self-identify as an al alcoholic or you self-identify as a person who is a non-drinker. And I think just in the ways that other people sometimes get very uncomfortable around someone else's right to self-identify, um, you know, I, I think stopping and asking, well, who am I when I drink less? Who am I when I drink more? Um, you know, for, for me, I think I had come to that that critical point the first time I got sober was shortly after I got together with my current wife, my mm -hmm. only wife, sorry, that sounded weird. <laughs> Apologies to her if she's listening. Um, when we first got together, I knew I am not good in relationships as somebody that drinks. And I just, I, I really did know inside me, I will screw this up if I don't stop this. Yeah. Um, and I, again, to me, it's that making that time to have those conversations about our various relationships to things that draw out some of the characteristics that we appreciate about ourselves and some of the things that we know this is truly a detriment. Um, but I think education for so long was disinterested in that self, you know, introspective kind of thinking and folks being able to decide for themselves. You know, my, my wife also... Um, is someone who still will very rarely on occasion drink. But on an earlier episode of this podcast, Sabrina Joy Stevens had said, you know, she, whenever she goes online for social media, she's like, I go to that space intentionally knowing this is what I am here for. And, um, you know, my, my wife is that person who we can be going out to dinner and she's like, I know I can have a glass of wine and like, that's it. Like, I might literally just want the wine to go well with what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. I was never that kind of drinker, like you were saying either. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, I, I really do think there's so much value in pausing and questioning the nature of our relationships to different things that do show up time and time again. Uh, you know, again, you and I have talked about how in education, it's going to show up at all of the social events and it shows up a lot just in the end of week like oh as you said you know i can't wait to get out of here for a glass of whatever mm -hmm. um yeah. and i think as you said it's sort of what are some of the emotions that might be at the root of that and for me it's kind of the i celebrate better as a sober person like i really am feeling the joy yeah. and the reverse of that you know when something hard is happening where I used to go reach for alcohol, that always made it worse 
I find mm-hmm. even like in grief and mourning and loss, mm-hmm. um, my sobriety pairs or matches that better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the idea of like, you're pushing it down versus experiencing it and processing it and sitting with it. Like to go back to the idea of endings and, and saying that you're no longer going to do something. Um, there was a long time where I knew that it was not the right thing for me to do anything, drink alcohol. And it took me um, time to process like, yeah, what does this mean? If it's no longer, if I never do this again. Right. Um, and I had to really switch to the, like, what am I replacing it with and what am I going to gain instead? Um, but when I think about how that relates now to like leaving a country that you've been working in, leaving a job that you've been working in any sort of endings or transitions, um, it's, it's bittersweet. Um, I heard someone describe relationships as like season, reason, lifetime. Um, so some things are going to be there for just a a chapter of your life. Some things are going to be there just to teach you a lesson versus like, this is going to be forever. Um, so yeah, I think it's very easy to, to see people around you doing things and have it be so normalized and just assume that you're going to do it too, versus like taking that pause, like you called, you called it earlier and, and reflecting like, who, who am I really, if I keep doing this versus who could I become if I make more space? Mm. Yeah. That, that is such a wonderful note, I think, for us to wrap this conversation up with. But um, Emily, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation sort of at the beginning of the academic year, because I, I hope, I know that there are a number of school leaders who listen to the show. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as you were, you were mentioning earlier, this is about inclusivity as well. And I would argue it's also about a more imaginative approach to community building. So Uh, Please do be mindful of folks that are doing that questioning to their relationship with alcohol. Please do be mindful about what you are suggesting are the various ways that people can experience community. Um, And and again, I I would love to talk to you further about this again one day, Emily, because it's, it's certainly it's a really nuanced issue. And I think it's still in many ways a very taboo topic to bring up in educational spaces. And um, I certainly think it shouldn't be. Can I say one thing about that too? Um, Just because you mentioned school leaders and and the coming academic year, one of the best things that I saw done at it, it was a like after school celebration that was held on campus is that they sent a Google form around and asked if you're not drinking alcohol, what non-alcoholic drinks drinks would you like us to provide? And I felt so, I was like, soda water, please. (laughs) I felt so seen and I felt so cared for and acknowledged in that really simple task. And I think it was just on the like RSVP, are you coming? Yes, no form. Um, So there are ways, yeah, to be mindful of the fact that not everyone's gonna wanna drink a beer or a glass of wine, yeah. Yep, and uh, again, some of those signposts can mean an awful lot. Um, So I'm really glad that you shared that one. Thanks again so much, Emily. Yeah, thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing in this conversation. Emily, so much appreciation for you in sharing on what is such a personal journey. Folks, a reminder, the conversation was in part inspired by us attending a great session on boundaries by Cheryl Ann Weeks. If your school, and I think all schools, need to have that deep, deep learning on how we form, nurture, 
and defend boundaries, uh, reach out to Cheryl and Week. She's doing such important work around this. You will find contact information for her over there in the show notes. See you next week.